to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com hey slutty scholars satisfier is sponsoring this segment of the show in celebration of spring spring is an excellent time to renew your sex lives and try new things satisfier will definitely put a spring in your step with their amazing pleasure products that now come with their satisfier connect app Satisfier is offering our lucky listeners 40% off and free shipping on all app-enabled devices. Just use code S&S40 at Satisfier.com. And I personally love Satisfier, not just because they are sponsoring the show, but I absolutely crave their products and they have become my new favorite pastime. Um, my favorite is the Curvy 2, which is an air pulse stimulator. So it's not quite a vibration sensation, but let me tell you, this toy has helped me have some of the best solo and partnered sex I have ever had with some of the strongest orgasms. And it has also helped me to learn to orgasm multiple times, which has been awesome. Um, I keep it in my bedside table drawer charging and I bring it with me whenever I travel. Let me tell you, spring has sprung over here thanks to Satisfier. Uh, it's great if you don't live with your partner, have multiple partners, or in a long distance relationship because it has that connection app, which allows you to share your pleasure with a partner. As much as you might want to pleasure your partner, remote play really does help us focus on our own self-pleasure and to share it with our partners. The more pleasure you feel, the more your partner will enjoy the experience and hopefully feel liberated to do the same. The first thing to do is practice pleasuring yourself with your chosen pleasure product from Satisfier. Really taking the time outside of the remote play experience to test the waters of your new device on your your own body will help to make you even more confident when it's time to explore with a partner. So slow things down and take the time to figure out which settings you prefer and what feels the best. Then get acquainted with how to pair your device to help ensure that you have less technical challenges when the time comes. Satisfier will definitely put a spring in your step with their amazing pleasure products. And now it comes with the Satisfier Connect app. And Satisfier is offering listeners 40% off and free shipping on all app-enabled devices. Again, just use promo code S-A-N-D-S at satisfier.com. Just go to S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com and use code S-A-N-D-S-40 for 40% off and free shipping. That's satisfier.com, code S-A-N-D-S-40. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am welcoming Gila Zach. She is an honors graduate of HMI College of Hypnotherapy, a member of the Student Advisory Board, an advanced handwriting analyst, and a Silva Life System graduate. She's been featured as a presenter with professional conferences, hospitals, and various organizations, and is happy to espouse on all things hypnotic. She actively pursues 
use continued education on the mind-body connection and how it can be utilized for an optimum quality of life. Her passion is teaching individuals and groups about human behavior and how easy it is to access and harness the power of the subconscious mind to create meaningful change. And fun fact, the memory of the imaginary friend she had as a child inspires her to still help others tap into their imagination and create the life they desire and deserve. Welcome, Gila. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, so one of my favorite movies growing up, I don't know if you ever watched it, was Drop Dead Fred. I did see it, but I can't honestly tell you that I remember what it was about. Okay, but it's basically it's basically all about imaginary friends. So I would love for you to introduce me to your imaginary friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sadly, um, it's not with me anymore. Other than when I'm doing hypnosis sessions, obviously. But um, when I was a child, I was just really, really aware that there was a presence with me. And to this day, I can't tell you what it looked like, but I can absolutely still connect with what it felt like. And it was just a playful, calm, ever-present energy. And um, in the counterculture parents that I had, they were very welcoming. They would set a place at the dinner table if my friend was going to join me, you know, it was okay. So I was encouraged to embrace this, this aspect of my imagination. And, you know, some would say, well, was it a spirit guide with you? Was it a guardian angel? Possibly, I don't know. But as a child, I just saw it as a, as a companion. And why do you think we lose that aspect of ourselves as we get a little older? I think it's because we're told it's time to grow up. We're tired. It's time to get your head out of the clouds. You know, let's start to go into school and it's all about being rote, you know, one, write that sentence, you know, 50 times. And if it doesn't exist in a textbook, it's not real. And so we, I think our perception of our reality starts to get narrowed based on our culture. And I certainly think that creativity is essential, especially for like a healthy and thriving sex and relationship life. And how do you think that kind of regaining that mentality that would welcome an imaginary friend is helpful um, in the work (laughs) that you do? Well, I can tell you that your imagination is absolutely working for you or against you when it comes to sex because it's either allowing you to connect with that part of you that is free and open or it's inhibiting you. And I'm a sexual freedom hypnosis practitioner and I specialize in helping people to have their sexual experience free of shame, free of guilt, free of pain. And when it comes to our imaginations, sometimes the church is in our head, sometimes our parents are in our head. Yeah, or so, what our body can and can't do or That's right. Yeah, just the pressure we put on ourselves. So yeah. all the things that could go wrong, that's when the imagination hinders the experience. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, you know, I tell people when they come to me with relationship issues or sexual issues, it's like, you know, when you're in the bedroom with your partner, it should just be you and your partner. It shouldn't be the last five boyfriends or lovers you had. It shouldn't be your parents or your priest. Unless or your... you want it, to, unless you want them to be there for like <laughs> a fun, kinky thing. <laughs> exactly. And that's where the sexual freedom comes in. It's like, hey, there's no judgment. You just tell me what works for you if it's consensual and everyone is satisfied in the end. That's fine. Yes. But if you don't want your parents or your priest there as part of your (laughs) fantasy, then come see Gila. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Wait. So tell us about sexual freedom hypnosis. I trained with the amazing Kaz Riley. She's out of the UK and she pioneered this particular program of sexual freedom hypnosis. And it really is, as I mentioned, all about helping people to recover their sense of sexual uh, sexual self free from shame, free from guilt, 
and free from pain. Um, and so very often, you know, what will happen is uh, a client will go to a talk therapist and they'll be saying that, you know, I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety, social anxiety or relationships anxiety. And then once there's in the discovery happens, the therapist might learn that the person has a kink or a fetish. And depending upon the perception of the therapist and how they practice, they might say, well, that's your problem. And it may not be the problem. So we are considered as sexual freedom hypnotherapists, kink-friendly, fetish-friendly, basically without judgment. As long as I mentioned it's, it's consensual, everybody's satisfied, it's all good. And what's the key that, and I talked about this a little bit on, on last week's podcast, I had the the privilege of interviewing a couple different like NLP hypnotherapists for this latest like series of podcasts. So it's so cool to hear the different approaches. And for you, what do you think is the, the key to doing something like hypnosis or biofeedback that goes beyond what talk therapy can do? Because I can certainly have someone come into my office every week and repeat the same story. And so sometimes just talking about it, you know, it's, it's limiting. It only goes so far. Yeah. And that's what I tell people. I say, you know, because I always ask in my intake form, have you sought out talk therapy for this? And very often a person will say yes. And I say, you know, hypnotherapy picks up where talk therapy lets off. It's like a bridge. There's a, the person starts here. They want to get over the bridge and get on with their, with their life. And talk therapy is wonderful at discovery, at insight and understanding. And it can kind of take us part of the way over the bridge. And for some people all the way, but for others, they get stuck there. And this is where hypnosis, it's action oriented, it's forward focused. Now that I know what I know, what do I do with it? And because the problem usually lies within the subconscious, this is why we work in hypnosis to help resolve that conflict. Because if the thinking mind, the logical intellectual mind knows one thing, but the subconscious believes something else, it's the conflict that's keeping the person from truly moving on from the trauma or the experience. And how is it really working like hypnosis to access that, that other part of ourself, that like physical, less logical side of things? The, I guess the unconscious, right? right? Well, it's the creative side. So think of it this way, that the thinking logical mind says, we need to think inside the box. The answer is inside the box. It's here somewhere inside these four corners. The sub- and if I'm just smart enough, I can find it Absolutely. and figure it out. Right. Or if I read enough about it or talk to someone enough about it. But the subconscious says, what box? There's no fucking box box doesn't exist. And so the possibility for resolution is is much broader. And because the language of the subconscious mind is symbolic, it's metaphorical, expressed through imagination, this is why we use hypnosis to go into that place to find the resolution and then process out. And I think talk therapy, you know, like you said, is great to an extent. And if you're working with a therapist who's maybe not like trauma or body informed, a lot of times just talking about the thing over and over in my experience can kind of like, I guess, magnify the trauma grooves in our, in our brain and just sort of be an experience of reliving it as opposed to really working through it. I don't know if that's been your experience in seeing folks who have done a lot of just talking about it. It is because every time we go back to the story, we're anchoring the story. So having worked with your NLP and other hypnotic practitioners, you've heard that, right? They're anchored to the trauma. They're anchored to the physiological association of what happens in the body when they start to think about sex or be sexual. So what we do is we help to collapse the anchors. So essentially what hypnosis does is helps us to change the story. And yes, we are anchoring the neural pathways for the trauma when we talk about it over and over again. So hypnosis says, well, let's reframe that. Let's see it in a different way. 
in a way that I choose because we're each the spiritual authority of our own thoughts, our feelings, our emotions and behaviors. And when we can look at it in a different way that has different meaning to us, it can collapse the way we felt about it before. And so what are some topics of like sexual freedom that you've worked on with, with clients or have heard about? This is a perfect example. Um, I see a fair number of women for vaginismus. I get medical referrals. If they see the talk therapist, the talk therapist will always very often assume there's trauma. And the person's like, no, I don't have any sexual trauma. Well, maybe it's repressed. Well, in my opinion, trauma once is enough. Why go back? So if a person with vaginismus doesn't have sexual trauma, let's, it's just an association. Um, they think it's gross to have a foreign object inside of them. Uh, I had one person who had this, uh, a really bad experience with um, semen once with a sexual partner. And then she's just like, there's no way in hell I ever want that inside of me because that's gross. So, you know, it's almost like this, this childlike part of them has associated that sex is gross or a penis is gross or ejaculation, ejaculate is gross. So we just help them to reassociate. And then, you know, we, where the mind goes, the body follows. So if the person is making out and they're, you know, starting to get intimate and then they think, oh, this is going to go further, then they tighten up because they're, they're tightening off and closing to the experience. And so the body follows. And for those of you just tuning in for the first time, vaginismus is basically a kind of broad term for like pain experience during during sex. And if you want to know more about that, go back to an episode I did with Kana Kassard, who talks about pelvic pain. And a great example of what you're saying is sometimes it can just be one experience and it might not be something that everyone considers trauma, but Kana was sharing that it was an aunt of hers who said that men like tight pussies. And that narrative stayed for so long that her, like, you know, she would clench her pelvic muscles over and over and over. And it created this, um, this block. Yeah. I had one client who, uh, she said, yeah, my sister came back and out in high school. My sister told me that how painful sex was the first time. And she said, I don't want to experience that pain. And, you know, now this woman is in her thirties and it's very unlikely her hymen's intact because she can get a dilator in there, you know, a small dilator, but, um, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's all, it, it all begins and ends in your mind. <laughs> and so how long does something like that take? Is that something that could be released in one session? Is this a series of sessions? And, and are there folks who um, it doesn't work for? The answer is yes to all of those. Because, <laughs> because um, everyone can be hypnotized. Hypnosis is a very naturally occurring experience that we all have two, three, 20 times a day. We just, as practitioners, teach you how to use it in a new way. So yes, I've seen things clear in one session. I've seen things take six, seven, three, or the person doesn't find complete resolution. And I'm a firm believer that if there was one thing that worked for everybody all the time, it's the only type of therapy that would exist. So um, there's nothing that works 100% of the time. But where I come in is I am that practitioner that's going to be part of your team. And I work with pelvic therapists, you know, gynecologists, talk therapists, somatic release therapists, you name it. And we all together help you get to your goal in some cases. Yeah. And that's, a, like I said, that's a great approach to, yeah, having a full team approach, especially when it comes to something like pelvic pain. Um, okay. So you've worked in sexual freedom, hypnosis with pelvic pain. Um, anything else that stands sure. out? Sure. And remind me, you used a term for uh, premature ejaculation on one of your podcasts, and I loved the way that you described it. 
Oh, yes. Um, Well, I don't like to use the word premature, even though that's what's in the diagnostic and statistical manual, which is how we diagnose disorders. And to me, premature, like it sounds like a premature baby, like it's, it's very like infantilizing, I think. I mean, if someone uses that term and they resonate with it, I'll, I'll match that. But I prefer to call it coming before you want to. Perfect. Um, so yes, I work because especially, <laughs> well, especially because if someone's like, maybe, maybe they are with someone who has some pain or they don't like a lot of penetration and they only want to last for 30 seconds to a minute and the other sex is non-penetrative. It's like, why is that a problem? Like, sounds great. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that reframe. So yes, I work with people who come before they want to, um, (laughs) men and women. Wait, women too? Yes. It's only happened once. And it was really interesting um, because this person was a very high physical sexual female. And we'll talk about that when we get to that part. But yes, uh, she wanted to be able to sustain her orgasm a little longer. So again, remember, it all begins and ends in the mind. And we can learn to utilize this very powerfully with hypnosis. Um, but what's very common for men is they get an idea stuck in their head. Um, and so it's difficult for them to achieve an erection or maintain it. And we as hypnotherapists, you know, we get medical referrals or releases to make sure that we're not masking something that should get attention. Yeah. You were saying we could talk about that in a little bit. And I'm wondering, you mentioned before our interview that a lot of your work draws on, um, a person named John Ka- John Kappas. Is that, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, John Kappas, uh, he's the founder of HMI, College of Hypnotherapy, n- not far from you there in Tarzana. And it was basically his thesis in his research area in that he came and developed this theory of emotional and physical suggestibility and sexuality. So we, we call it E&P. So essentially, there's two types of suggestibility. The first type is how you take in information. And we assess that the client is more head-centered and intellectual, which is what we call the emotional, or the physical body-centric, the, the physical. And so they respond very differently to hypnosis than the way that they take in information. And then there's your sexual personality, the way you express yourself in relationships. And this too is ENP. So there are emotional, intellectual sexuals, and then there are physical sexuals. And the biggest difference is that the physicals really feel their emotions in their body very strongly. They put their body out there first to protect their emotions, their sense of identity, self, security. And the emotionals do the opposite. They go into their head to protect their body. So with the emotional sexual, there's very often a bit of a disconnect between how they're thinking and how they're feeling. Whereas the physicals always know how they're feeling. And this is really important when it comes to sex, because the biggest mistake that the two partners can make in a relationship is assuming that the other person feels the way that they do or has the same needs that they do. How do we figure out who's emotional and who's physical? And are those things that are changeable? Yes, I love this question. This is why I love uh, teaching this because so many models of personality theory, you know, you're, if, if it's the, uh, the Enneagram, you're this, if it's the Myers-Briggs, you're this, if it's the four love languages that you're this, but ENP is lovely because number one, it's not gender specific. It is, it, it changes with you as you grow and evolve. It changes with you. So no one is ever a hundred percent emotional intellectual or a hundred percent physical. I happen to be very close to the middle on the emotional side. My husband's very close to the middle on the physical side. So when we're dealing with a client, we can assess their sexual personality via their handwriting, via their relationship history, uh, their, their 
family dynamic, how they were raised, how much they were touched and what, what way that touch looked like. Was it loving or was it abusive? Um, and then how they relate to the way that they feel emotions in their bodies. These four core traits tell us what the person's sexual personality is likely to be. Um, but it, it really is important to recognize that who we are in a relationship Mm, so it can shift based on our partner. Absolutely. And let's just say you have a 60% emotional female. And yeah, that's like the thing that attracts you to them. And then it's the thing that you come to therapy about. <laughs> Things that, that you find attractive and, you, you know, and, and titillating and exciting in the honeymoon phase become the things that piss you off the most when you're in the crisis stage. <laughs> Yep. Yes. <laughs> but what will happen is if we were in a, a significant relationship with someone and we get wounded, what we'll often do is we'll pick our rebound partner, uh, the part that's the partner who's going to help us kind of recover. That's going to be more like us because that behavior is more familiar. Mm. But then over the long term, that usually doesn't work out. It fizzles out or it becomes too combative. And so then we once we feel recovered, then we go back and we choose someone who's more our opposite. And it's important to recognize that we do all of this on the unconscious level. We don't wake up one day and say, wow, that guy really fucked me over. I'm going to go find someone so opposite of him to heal and recover. It's very unconscious. Yeah, I would, I'm thinking back to like breaks up, breakups I've had and I'm like, sometimes it's conscious, but I still can't control like who I'm finding myself connecting with. Right. Um, and it sounds like that's the unconscious part. Um, so what do we, what do we do? Do we figure out beforehand, like, are we emotional or physical? And then we try to find someone that matches that, or is it just about understanding our partner so that we can connect better? Like, how do we, how do we navigate that? In therapy is I, I teach people Number one, we help them identify their unconscious motivations because that's where I that's where I specialize. I'm a behaviorist first. I tell people and a hypnotist second. I want to know what your unconscious motivations are because then I can help you. So once we understand the unconscious motivations behind the behavior, we can help the person change it because understanding our partner's behavior can help us to shape it. So I, as the you know, as, as the emotional female married to a sexual male, we have to understand that the, the physical sexuals, they need sex and touch and, and verbal reassurance and acknowledgement like they need air and water. We can go without food for a while, but we can't go without air and water very long at all. And so we have to recognize that that, that is an essential need for them. And the physical needs to represent or understand that for the emotional, we need space. That's always a tough thing, I would say, in sessions with partnerships or couples that I'm working with is this competition of whose needs are more mm -hmm. important. So if you have this emotional and this physical person and they're saying, well, this opposing thing is like air to me. Um, how do we, how do we connect that? As, I mean, maybe using hypnosis and, and other things. Well, first of all, we have to be willing to, right. Uh, we have to be willing to change and not everybody is. Some people say, I like the way I am and I'm not willing to meet you there. And so that begs the question, how important is this relationship to you? And if the relationship mm -hmm. is important to the person and they're willing to change, then it's, we help them to see that it's usually a wounded part of them that is reacting in that exaggerated way that's causing the friction in the relationship. So physicals respond yeah, to rejection to very differently than emotionals do. Physicals take it very personally. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with me that they rejected me. 
Whereas emotionals, they will feel wounded and hurt, but they'll intellectualize it and then they'll move on. And so when we can understand that they're handling it very differently, um, it can help us as therapists to bring the two parties to the middle. When we have these two opposing viewpoints of whose needs are most important, um, this is what causes crisis. But it's the thing that brings us together in the beginning because the emotional sexual is drawn to the physical because they see them as confident. They're comfortable with their bodies. They're usually usually more extroverted. Um, they're more comfortable being free with their sexuality. And so it really helps to bring up the subdominant traits of the emotional to be with that physical. And so they love it in the beginning. They love that that person wants to touch and cuddle and, and have sex and, and gaze into the eyes. But once the relationship has fallen into the honeymoon stage, you know, the emotional's got, I got other shit to do. I got a business to run. I, I want to go for, I want to yeah. engage in my hobbies. I want to have my friends outside of the relationship. And then the physical sees, well, they don't love me anymore. They, they're not spending as much time with me. They don't want to have sex as often. And so then they view it as a rejection. And then the opposite happens when the physical goes into the relationship and sees the emotional is confident because they are perhaps a bit more reserved or quiet, or they don't feel the need to look for that external validation. But then that drives them nuts in the relationship in the crisis stage because, again, they feel like there's a space between the relationship. So when we see that, that it always comes down to the wounded part of us that's causing the crisis. Mm. And hypnosis can help us to change it. Yeah. Do you ever hypnotize? I mean, I imagine it's so personal. So maybe you can't hypnotize like couples and partnerships together, but is that ever something you do? Well, legally, because I, to work within my scope, I don't work with couples in the same mm. room, but I can work with both parties independently. And then I treat them as independent people because number one, they are, but, they number, are, yeah. two, but, but number two, there's two sides to the story. And then there's what's really happening. So if a person comes to me and says, well, my husband's doing this, and he's like, well, my wife is doing this, I'm like, well, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. So I just approach it each as their own. But yes, in the sexual freedom avenue of what I practice, there as a hypnotist, I can bring in two people as a couple, um, put them both into hypnosis and, and use whatever manner they would like to use to connect with each other in a way that is outside of therapy and is more just a connection, using hypnosis to connect more deeply. Mm. So on the topic of the emotional versus physical, what are some, yeah, like how does that look in hypnosis? How does it help? I can tell you that the physical sexual will more likely be, re be responsive to suggestions um, that influence the physical body, how it feels. And the emotional mm -hmm. is much more likely to, to respond to suggestions about how it in would influence the emotions. Yeah. Let's take a quick pause so you can get those advertiser discounts from our amazing sponsors. Remember, you do not need to leave the house to have fun with yourself or your partner this weekend. And remember that lube is your best friend. It is the key to maximizing pleasure, whether alone or with a partner. And if you're going to lubricate, you want to make sure it's done with the highest quality, body-safe ingredients. And for that, nothing beats Uber Lube. Right now, they're offering listeners a special 10% off and free shipping when you use my promo code S and S at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use promo code S and S at uberlube.com. And it's not just for genital stimulation. It's also great for massages too, and even frizzy hair like mine. Just make sure you check if it's compatible with the condom or toy that you may want to use. 
For sensitive folks, it's great as it's unscented with no flavor and has vitamin E, and it's free from nasty additives like parabens, preservatives, and petrochemicals. That's a lot of peas. And it doesn't stain your sheets, so you can put that laundry off for another day or 10. Right now, they're offering Sluts and Scholars listeners a special offer of 10% off and free shipping when you use my promo code S and S, that's S A N D S, at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use promo code S A N D S at U B E R L U B E.com. Okay, and once you've got your Uberlube out, sit back and relax into a story from Dipsy. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30 day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S and S. Especially in a long-term relationship, I need something more than, hey, want to fuck, to get me in the mood. I love listening to Dipsy as a way to start some all-day foreplay. Sometimes I'll listen to it, and that's enough for me. Other times, it's for self-pleasure or to help me warm up for partnered play. They also have wellness, sleep, and soundscapes that I turn on to go to sleep to. Basically, it's my go-to for getting turned on and turning off for the day. And now Dipsy is offering that 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S and S. That's 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash S and S. Dipsystories.com slash S and S. And remember, the more you support our advertisers, the more you support the podcast. Now back to the episode. I guess I wonder what's the, what's the piece that hypnosis plays? Is it to help accept the other partner? Is it to help shift the paradigm a little bit to change a little bit? Is it to just understand, like you said, these unconscious parts of ourselves that are leading to why we have those preferences or, or all the above? All of the above, because when when we understand why our partner is behaving the way that they are, when we understand that our our subtle rejections of the physical are are literally painful to them, and if we mm. love that person, then we say, how can I modify my behavior so that I'm not hurting them? And if the physical sees, wow. I really am not giving them any space. I'm not giving them a chance to be their own autonomous beings. What do I need to do to feel comfortable giving them that space? And then the two, I can't tell you how many times in the intake process when I'm describing E&P, the person says, how do you know what's going on in my bedroom? How do you know what's going on at my kitchen table? (laughs) Because this this, (laughs) is... Yes. And you know, I've been with my husband. We met in high school. We were kids and we're, we're in our early fifties now. And when I learned about this theory about seven, eight years ago, it just blew my mind. Cause I thought, holy shit, this could have saved a lot of conflict in our relationship if I had known. And it's incredibly accurate, this theory. There's no theory that's ever going to be 100%. You know, there's always the anomaly, the outlier, but I love to tell this story when I do presentations because everybody gets it. Whether you're the E or the P, you get it. So here we are married. We've got two small children. We're talking under the age of five. We're both working 40 hours a week. My husband's the physical. I'm the emotional. And put the kids to bed, do the dishes, get everything set. I get into bed, you know, and I was a manager at administrative position at the time. So a lot of responsibility on me. I get into bed and I go, and I feel this hand like reaching over, like to grab my breast. <laughs> yeah, said, without without any warning, just going right for it. Just, just really, just, just gentle, you know, reaching over. And I said to my husband, if one more person 
needs one more fucking thing from me today, I'm going to lose my shit. Mm. (laughs) And the hand just slowly retreats. (laughs) And what I didn't realize at the time is that was a profound rejection because my physical husband, in his mind, he's thinking, wow, she's had a tough day. She needs an orgasm. That's going to make everything better. <laughs> yeah, or maybe for himself, I've had a tough day and I'm looking to connect to connect with you. Right. Regardless of what it is, it was just like to to know now that, wow, that could have been an opportunity to have, have discussed things and talked about it differently. Um, so yeah, I, I love sharing that because that's the epitome of one person's belief or understanding that their needs are going to fix it, or they need to get met in this way because, and understanding EMP is so helpful in this way. Yeah. And I don't know what you think about this, but obviously this isn't to say that if you know it disappoints your partner, that it means you have to force yourself to do it. Like if Absolutely you really were not. in that space, it's not like, oh, well, I don't want to hurt you. So I'm just going to lay here and dissociate and, and hate the experience and then not want to do it again. Mm-hmm. But obviously there's a big difference between saying like, oh, that's so sweet. You wanted to reach for me. Like, you know, I'm not in that space right now. Can, like, tell me what you are wanting to do or just finding another way to say, no, not right now. And then connect and talk about it. Um, yeah. I would say, I don't know. What do you think? Absolutely. Because then I could have said, Hey, Hey honey, it's nothing personal. I love you. And you always make me feel so nurtured and cared for. I just don't have the energy for it right now. I'm tapped out. Nothing personal. Yeah, Because this is what helps the physical the most to understand that it's not personal. Yeah. Or if you knew that he wasn't making the reach because he was like, I need you to serve me. And you've been serving people all day. Mm -hmm. And, and and there was an opportunity to be like, well, what do you need? Are you down to be open to the idea of getting turned on? And like, what would that take other than me just like silently reaching over and grazing your nipples, <laughs> like exactly. unannounced, uh, which I totally hate because it's like, I'm not, I, like, I'm not ready for it. It feels like so invasive when someone just reaches over. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. It, the, the ENP theory to me is so fascinating because with, the more you study it and learn it and immerse yourself in it, it really applies to absolutely everything, not just in our sexual relationships, but in our professional relationships and family relationships. But yeah, the, the physical, just they're very physical. They're going to come forward first and very often not think about it. Whereas the emotional, by their nature, they intellectualize it. They think about it first before they do it. And this is what confirms for me that the best route to change is acceptance. Absolutely. Acceptance of what, who you are, not that you can't change or there can't be growth, but the more we shy away from the acceptance, I think the less likely people are to want to change or make adjustments if they're not being seen or understanding themselves and their partner. Yeah. And you said something really key, you know, I'm just going to go along with it and then dissociate from it and then not want to do it again next time. This is really, really common with emotional females because they Mm -hmm. don't want to create conflict. And so they'll just acquiesce. They'll say yes. They're very, they're less likely to speak up for what they need in the bedroom because they just oftentimes don't know. They don't know their bodies as well as physicals. Physicals are more likely to explore and probe their pleasure centers. Whereas emotionals are like, ew, really? You know, you want me to look at my vulva? I'm like, Yeah. (laughs) So what will happen is then it's important to remember that the organ of our brain and the concept of our mind, they're like these patterns. It's a pattern seeking team. And they're always going to try to predict tomorrow based what's happened on yesterday. So if we had to dissociate and just 
you know, not enjoy it the time before, we're going to create a pattern for that in the future. Uh, building that anticipatory anxiety. Oh no, they want to have sex again. It's not going to be good. And I'm just, yeah. And then the emotional might like lean away from any physical touch because it's like, okay, any, anything that I'm perceiving is going to make me have sex. I don't want to have, let's avoid that. Ding, ding, ding. Hit the nail on the head because the, the physical will perceive every touch as an open door to intercourse. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I always know when my partner like wants to take it further because it's like, there's something about the, I think he's physical, but there's something about the like way that he kisses or the deepness of the touch where I'm like, all right, can you just say what you're wanting here? Cause I know, I know what you're, what you're going. <laughs> yeah. And very often the emotional wants to be touched. They want to be physical with the physical. That's why they have them in their life because they're receptive to it. If an emotional was with another, an emotional, they'd never touch each other, but the emotional chooses the physical because they know they're receptive to touch, but it needs to be on the emotional's terms. And this is where the emotional needs to learn to broaden their, their concept and their ability to give to their partner. I remember once I said to my husband, you know, I said, cause I went to kiss him on the cheek and he's like, Oh yeah, is it time? I'm like, I just wanted to kiss you. I said, how come every time I touch you, you think we're going to have sex? And he's like, well, because that's what it's for. Right. You know, something I'm paraphrasing, but this is a really exaggerated way to, to help people understand the disparity between E and P. And incidentally, neither one is right or wrong. Neither one is good or bad. These are two normals. And that's what's really brilliant, I think, about John Kappas's theory is that he called it the silent conspiracy because he was married five times and, you know, four of his previous relationships, he'd end up in counseling and he was a high emotional male. And he was told every time that it was his fault, that he wasn't communicative and expressive. And, and he's like, well, wait, you know, half the people I know are like me um, and half the people I know are like my partner. And it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. Um, so he kind of called it this conspiracy that we're all supposed to be one way. And that's kind of what led him to formulate his theory that there's two normals, that the E is normal, the P is normal. And how do we help them to understand each other? Yeah, I love that. And like you said, it comes from so many different places. It could be the relationship you're in. It could be upbringing. It could be trauma. It's probably a combination of all of those things. One interesting way that you said that you assess this is through handwriting, which is not something I've ever talked about before on the podcast. But for listeners out there, I asked Sheila before we started if she would be willing to assess my handwriting and my partner's handwriting. So she had me write something down. And I would love to, to unpack that with you. <laughs> well, to be fair, to do a proper handwriting analysis, you need a couple pages, two to three pages. But I just, I had you write a very specific statement because my magical monkey makes me smile because that has a lot of M's in it and it has a lot of Y's in it, has two of them. Why is that important? The M's, the way the client, the person makes the M will tell us what their hypnotic personality is likely to be, how they're taking in information, their suggestibility. And the way that they make the ending Y's and G's when they come at the, at the end of a word, this tells us what their sexual personality is likely to be. Why? Why? How does that work? Well, because it takes more physical energy to make a longer stroke, doesn't it? Oh. And it takes more physical energy to make those really wide rounded M's rather than those pointed little physical, little, you know, pointed fast ones. So yeah. because the, the emotionals tend to live in their head, they're, they're, they're usually thinking more quickly. So the M's are usually more pointed or there's less of a gap between the humps. Whereas the mm -hmm. physical, they're more in their body and they're just making, taking that time to physically 
express themselves. Handwriting is, is again, never right or wrong, good or bad. It is, it's an expression of the mood of the moment. Just additional insight. Yeah. I tell people, it tells me about well, your unconscious personality. Okay. Well, the mood of the moment for my partner, I don't know if you want to know this information, but um, they were still sleeping after I did my handwriting thing. And so Sheila was like, oh, can you get a little sample from, from your partner? And, and he's sleeping in bed. And I'm like, yeah, let me, let me wake his ass up. So he's like sleepy in the morning. It's dark in the room. I go in and I'm like, hey, could you write something for me? <laughs> Like just, and, and, and I'm so grateful for him because he, no questions asked was like, okay. I love this. <laughs> and, um, just turned over and I was like, can you write this sentence? My magical monkey makes me smile. And he was like, you totally do. <laughs> so cute and he was like he just wrote it down and then like turned back over and like no questions asked so it was really lovely to see that I just he knew I was recording a podcast this morning but I didn't have to that's the kind of partner that I'm really grateful to have that I have done a lot of therapy work I think to get to someone who of course I want him to question me you know when things don't align but someone who's like oh this is important to you sure you need me to write a sentence that says my my magical monkey makes me smile at you know nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday like okay babe (laughs) that was it I love this I also uh incorporate dream analysis into my practice um you know, very client centered. So the symbols are very unique to the client, obviously, but he's probably going to go back to sleep and have another dream cycle about a magical monkey. <laughs> Which is me, apparently. I'm, he said, I'm his magical monkey. And it'll probably be sexual. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, looking at, at your handwriting sample first, to be clear, I asked uh, Nicoletta to use a plain white piece of paper unlined and write as much or as little as you would like to about something you have emotion or passion for, and then put a signature on there. So if you think as the page as the writer's world, I noticed that you wrote almost exclusively at the top. So if you were to break the, the paper into thirds, the top is generally what the person, um, how much energy and emphasis they put into their intellectual pursuits, their spiritual pursuits, their their thought. The middle of the page is generally how the person gets through the day-to-day, and the bottom is more what's going on in the unconscious mind, so below the surface of conscious awareness. So the reason why I tell people write as much or as little as you'd want to, because that's a suggestion in and of itself. There's freedom there. So the fact that you only wrote at the top, it could mean that you just didn't have a lot of time. Sure. But it also could mean that you're very, very centered on what your intellectual pursuits are. You're giving the majority of your energy there, at least Mm -hmm. at the time, you know, that you were, which is true. You were preparing for a podcast. Um, But what I see most interesting about your your handwriting, you're going to love this, is that you generally are someone who just takes the big middle finger to authority like this. It's just like, <laughs> Wait, what about what about that showed through? <laughs> it's the way you make your letter K because K is generally how we uh relate to authority figures, to societal norms. Um and when the writer has to pick up the pen or the pencil to make the letter, how they connect it tells them how connected they are to authority and how much of an influence it holds over them. And you don't pick mm-hmm. up the pen or in this case a pencil it looks like you just, it just flows and it, the K doesn't even connect to the stem. So there's this huge space between the stem, which is structure. And you just is like, I am far away from that structure. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> My own person. 
I mean, I guess you could have picked up on that listening to my podcast, but that is probably the most accurate statement I've ever heard about me. <laughs> well, this is what's great about using handwriting analysis as a hypnotherapist and HMI. It's part of their foundational training because it is so important. It helps us to see if the client is expressing themselves congruently with how they're behaving because mm. you, people can lie to us while they're under hypnosis as equally as they could lie to you in a talk session. But I really, oh, yeah. So I can see, hmm, are they being congruent with how they really behave? Or is it a defense mechanism that they've created as a way to, you know, cope with life? Um, Mm. But for so that's congruent with the way I express myself. Your very attitude. Everyone can know that you are not a fraud, that you are one badass (laughs) real deal. Thank you. You heard it here first. Okay. All right. So fuck authority. Sounds right. Um, The other thing that I see is that uh, it looks like you used a pencil. Yeah, I did. It looks like uh, you you put a lot of emphasis into your handwriting. If if you were to like the pressure looks like it's fairly um, strong. If you were to turn the paper over, it might have like that kind of braille feeling to it. If there was paper underneath it to absorb the pressure. And this yeah. means that you are likely someone whose your emotions are long lasting and very deep. So the experiences that you have tend to stay with you for better or worse. Um, and, and kind of the, the river runs deep with you, as they say. Uh, and then looking at your letters M, I'm going to guess off this relatively smaller sample that you're probably an emotional suggestible too. But at times you have a tendency to be like closer to that 50 50, the somnambulism, um, because you can make them both wide and round, but also somewhat pointy. So if so kind of like versatile mm-hmm. in that way, or? yeah, it, it could be a, what you would be more influenced by would be the environment, the person and the, the topic. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And if we're going back to an episode I did recently about astrology, maybe we could connect it to this Gemini. I have these two parts that I can turn this emotional part on and off depending on the situation or the safeness or the physical depending on the situation um, and the person that I'm with. I think I think that resonates a lot with me because I've often described myself as a chame- as a chameleon that I'm just can like adapt to whatever. And sometimes that's good, but sometimes that can be lonely too. Cause it's like, you're, you can be anybody. So yeah. who are you? Right. Well, my answer to you would be, you are everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be my quote of the week. You are everything. Thank you. Why does it need to be dualistic? You can be, you can be all of those things and that's okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I loved that podcast, by the way, he was awesome. Uh, I, I call myself an open-minded skeptic. You know, I, I think everything's possible, but I'm analytical by nature. So I like to delve into it. I'm very, I, my practice is very clinical and also very woo-woo and all points in between, depending upon mm-hmm. who the client is. But I, I yeah. like to think of astrology and numerology and, and palmistry, all of that is statistics. Statistically speaking, as a Gemini, you're, if in your sun sign, you're likely to be this way. Um, yeah. And this is kind of how handwriting is too. It, it gives us an expression of how the person is likely to be, but it changes over time. Yeah. Um, what I see in your ending letters, why the way that they come down, if you look at the sample, the word sexuality and reaching, notice how the ending stroke, why it touches the end of the word below it. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting that this is what you do for a living? You are, you are basically taking all things in your concept of sexuality and you are, there's a lot of tangling going on there. 
and and what you're reaching for understanding. And I understand that you're still, you know, educating yourself even further on this. So there's this really strong tangling of your concept of sexuality and what you continue to do and build and grow with it. Because you don't tangling have tangling in like a in like a negative way, or tangling no, in like making connections. It's all about how it's working for you, and it's it's a positive mm-hmm. thing in your case because you don't have this connection of the lower zone and the upper zone between sentences in any other part of your sample. It's just mm-hmm. very unique to that. Um, but yeah, I can. S- and you're someone who generally needs a little bit of space between you and others. At least when you wrote this, it's like you don't probably don't like the close talkers. If I don't know you, don't come in and like put your face right here. You know, <laughs> let me keep a little bit of space, please. Yeah, I think it depends, especially if someone comes in and they're like, oh, you're a therapist. Let me get free therapy, which is kind of what I've asked you to do right now with this handwriting <laughs> sample. But you know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah, it depends on the context. Everybody loves navel gazing. Let's just be honest. This is what astrology mm-hmm. is. It's what all this stuff is. It's navel gazing. Like, let me look, at, look inside myself even more. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, fun fact, it's likely to be that higher physical that's going to get in your face and go, Ooh, they're not, they don't tend to understand physical boundaries as much, whereas the emotional, sexual, they're all about physical boundaries. And so the people who are closer to the middle, which is probably someone like you, you're going to be comfortable in both situations. Mm, okay. Yeah. And what does it say about, what about my partner's handwriting? You're, do I need to, AKA, do I need to dump him? <laughs> I can see that your hand, you're very compatible your slant is a little bit more, it's very much more vertical. So you're going to think about your um, emotions and words generally before you express them. His is a little, it's a, it's both. So he's someone who's going to be a little bit more free when he expresses himself, but he's also going to be a bit more thoughtful when he expresses himself. He's more likely than you to be influenced by compliments and criticisms. Um, his ending Y in the word monkey goes really long. It's really smooth. So his sexual expression is much probably much more fluid than yours. Whereas when we look at your your why it can come down and kind of stop and then it comes back up. Sometimes it's narrow, sometimes it's wide, sometimes there's no loop at all. So again, this is a small sample, but in the two whys that I see, they're consistent. So his his sexuality, his sexual energy is more fluid than yours in in the in the flow of it, if that makes any sense. Whereas you're probably thinking, do I have time? Is this the right time? Do I feel like it? You're probably thinking about it a bit more. Mm, yes, definitely. <laughs> so yes. I, would, I, I would say from this very, very limited sample, um, he is probably the physical sexual, at least in the relationship right now um, with the way yeah. the two of you are behaving. Yeah. And it's interesting how that connects to, like you were saying, spontaneous versus responsive. I think, mm-hmm. uh, early on in a relationship, a lot of us are spontaneous, but over time, that's when it really comes out and he's, he's spontaneous. And it sounds like that fits into the the physical identity. It does. And when it comes to sex, we could do a whole two hours on just how the physical and the emotional respond to sex differently. Um, Mm -hmm. But to touch upon it, you know, again, another reason why the opposites attract in the beginning, it's great because the emotional sexual male or female generally needs more time with foreplay and warming up. And so that physical is there to give it to them because they want the sex act to be as long as possible and as multiple times in one session as possible. And so yeah. in the beginning, that's wonderful because as I mentioned, it brings out the emotional subdominant physical side, 
But later on, the relationship becomes a point of contention because the physical says they're never getting enough sex and the emotional says you're never giving me enough space. Mm -hmm. And when we understand that the emotional sexual, they have a sexual energy cycle, whereas the physical is kind of always turned on. Um, the emotional, theirs tends to run at like three days. So like the third or fourth day into a woman's menstrual cycle will be, for example, day one. So her en sexual energy is going to build. Day two, it gets stronger. Day three, it's at its peak, and she's likely to initiate sex at that time. And then once she has her sexual release, it drops back down. And then one, two, three, and then so forth. If there's a lot of stress in life or in the relationship, then it can go to every five days, 10 days. And then the physical's like, what's going on? We're not having yeah. sex is enough. And this is especially helpful for, for men because I see uh, some high physical sexual females who think that, you know, my husband doesn't want to have sex every day or he, he you know, he, he comes once and then he rolls over. He's not ready. He doesn't want to have any more sex. Because the emotional can take longer for their sexual energy to build, they generally tend to release it all at once. And they need that mm -hmm. time to recover. In the honeymoon stage, it's different. There's hormones that help us to kind of <laughs> keep the ball rolling, so to speak. But in the yeah. in the everyday, the the plateau stage, and the especially the crisis stage, it can get longer and longer. And so then the physical females like, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I need Botox or boobs or or lips. My lips injected, and it's like, no, it's nothing to do with you personally. Your husband just needs more time, um, and. In hypnosis, we help to work with that woman or the man, whichever one, to help them understand why, again, it comes down to a part of us that's feeling insecure and how do we shift that? Yeah, it does sound like the some of the research and, and wording behind it, though, is pretty like heteronormative in terms of like male, female. And I do like this descriptor of like emotional versus physical. And I think you said earlier that it's not it doesn't have to be gender dependent for us yeah. to get to the bottom of some of this and, and unpack it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and I, it sounds I'm, like it's, it's expanding beyond that. It is. And I'm using he and she more than I should. Uh, my millennial or my uh, millennial and Gen Z children have been really great to help me, you know, to, to broaden my perspective, but yeah, because I see couples who are in uh, heterosexual relationships, homosexual relationships, people who are pansexual and, it, it doesn't matter. Somebody in the relationship is the E and someone's the P. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. And, and what I, I like, so I like those sort of using E and P. Um, and what I think is also really interesting too, is, I mean, I, I certainly don't like to place this like binary gender, you know, on folks and whoever I'm working with, I do think it's important to talk about gender roles and stereotypes because this can impact how we show up as a person and the shame we feel about it. Absolutely. You know, so if we have been told that we are male or we're supposed to identify with quote unquote maleness or whatever that means, what pressures are we feeling about how sexual we're supposed to be or when we're supposed to be um, wanting sex or doing things or how our body's responding. And so, you know, it is something that is necessary for me at least to talk about with my clients using yeah. whatever verbiage matches for them, but also acknowledging like the, the stereotypes and the cultural pressures. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think it's, it's really important. 
Well, Gila, thank you for the um, like free handwriting analysis. I can't wait to share with my partner. This has been awesome. I, I love the work you're doing. I can't wait to collaborate um, with more clients. Um, how can folks uh, get in touch, hire you, um, check out your work, whatever you want people to do? You could find me at quantumwaveshypnotherapy.com. Um, and all the information you need there. There is a, an initial assessment you can take on. If you click the tab that says hypnotherapy and then relationship strategies, you can scroll down and you can uh, click on a link that'll take you to HMI's website and take a little assessment to kind of see how you're behaving in the relationship today. Like who, if I'm in a relationship, how am I behaving at the moment? Um, if you're not oh, I like that. Yeah. And if you're not in a relationship, you think back to your previous most significant relationship when it was not in the crisis phase. And then there's uh, also a video there that you can watch that will take you to the HMI college website again, where you can kind of watch a two hour video on ENP in general. Oh, I like that. I love having those little resources for partners that I see in my practice because it's a good it kind of starts the conversation. Yeah. And I really want to emphasize um, that, again, what I love about this theory is like you reiterated that it's it's non-binary, it's not gender specific, it's not, you know, identity specific. And it changes with us because when I in the when I had first met my husband when I was younger, because of my family history, I was a very high physical. But it wasn't my true nature because, mm -hmm. you know, I based on the theory, you will understand why it wasn't my true nature, because I was very wounded. And through my course of therapy and being with him, I stepped in to my more natural side, which is the emotional. So we can change as we learn and grow and heal. And then the most important is that who we're in the relationship with is going to trigger our dominant or subdominant traits. Yeah. So none of the, these things are, I mean, none of them are bad, but none of them are a death sentence that you That's have right. to live with for always. Gila, thank you so much for joining. This has been so uh, informative and awesome. Um, again, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And it is always super helpful if you check out the advertisers because they help keep the podcast going and rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thank you so much. 